Good afternoon, everybody. My mic is on, right? <laughs> All right. Well, I want to welcome you here to our Easter, those of you online as well, to our uh, 2022 Easter services where we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, uh, a few years ago, uh, my mom was excitedly awaiting a package. Uh, at the time, some of you know, she lived uh, right next to our house. We had an apartment that was built right next to our house, an in-law apartment, fully functioning. But when packages would come, they would come to our front door. And so on this particular day, she kept walking out to the front door and going back. By the second or third time, I said, are you waiting for a package or something? And she said, yeah. I said, I'll bring it to you. I'm going to be here. So when UPS came... They knocked on the door or rang the doorbell, and I went out, and I got it, and I took it back to her apartment, and I put it on the table. I said, here's your package, and she said, hooray! I said, what is it? And she said, I don't remember. <laughs> now, this is not a story about my mom losing her memory. Uh, she, she wasn't. She had a very robust memory. Uh, it's, it's a story about Easter. Because Easter, the celebration of Christ's resurrection, is a lot like that package. We get really excited that it's coming. Uh, we're having gatherings with family. We're fixing special meals, setting up tables, putting out eggs for the kids uh, to search for, all those kinds of things, getting ready to, to, to sing in here, come to a service. But sometimes as we're getting ready for its arrival, we're excited about its arrival, we forget what is inside, what Easter is really about. We know it's good and we're excited about it, but kind of in the moment sometimes we don't really remember everything it's about. We know it's about the resurrection, but we forget what it's all about. And when that happens, Easter is emptied of its power and it's emptied of its impact. If Easter was a package and we were to unwrap it and we were to look at its content, the contents would offer us a hope and an encouragement that changes everything for us. So uh, the gospel story of the resurrection reveals what's in that Easter package. So we're going to be looking at that today, specifically uh, one of the resurrection stories from Luke's gospel in chapter 24. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Luke 24. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to follow along, there are Bibles in the seat rack in front of you for those of you who are here uh, in the service. And it is on page 1060, on page 1060 of the Bibles that are uh, in the seat rack in front of you. The Bible doesn't Understanding it doesn't have to be a mystery. Understanding our part in God's story doesn't have to be a mystery. So we're going to ask God to illuminate his word as we always do. Uh, and the prayer that I'm going to pray is based on John chapter 10. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word shows us that your love for us changes everything. You sent your son to die so that we could live his sacrifice is our salvation. His resurrection is our victory. As we look at the scripture, we ask that you would illuminate your word. Give us understanding. Teach us more of who you are 
and who we are in you. Help us to live our lives in a way that leads others to walk in the fullness of life with you. Father, even as we come to this Easter weekend and we are thinking about what's happening in the world, we think of the war in Ukraine and we think of the, um, just the atrocities, the death, the separated families, the millions of refugees, and Father, the danger that it poses really to our whole world from food being provided to Africa to the danger of nuclear weapons. And so, Father, we pray for this war to come to an end. We pray for wisdom for world leaders, that they would make the right moves, that you would guide them, and we pray for peace. Pray for the families that have lost loved ones and families that are separated. Encourage their hearts this weekend. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's in the package? We're going to look at three things that are in the Easter package. The first thing that's in the package is that Christ's resurrection denies death its power. Christ's resurrection denies death its power. So death ought to, in many ways, loom large over our lives. It should be something that we actually think about because in reality it's inevitable. It's something that every single one of us is going to experience. But most of us have a tendency to, in various ways, deny death's inevitability. Years ago, I read a book called The Violinist's Thumb. It tells, um, the book tells the story of the discovery of DNA. It's about a, the study of genetics. And while writing the book, the author had his own DNA analyzed, and he was surprised to discover that when you send in your stuff for the DNA, you, you send in your, your sample, you can opt out of getting any bad news. You can, you can check something that says, if there's anything in here that would be like bad news, I don't want to know about it. Most of us have a tendency to deny death's inevitability. But death is inevitable, no matter how much we choose not to think about it. But while you can't deny that death is going to happen, you can't deny death, you can discover how to disarm death. The resurrection denies death its power. So look at the very first verse of Luke chapter 24, where Jesus has um, already died. It is the third day, and it says, on the first day of the week, early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. The women took the spices and they went to the tomb. The recounting of the resurrection begins with a group of women going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices. It's Sunday morning, the first day of the week uh, in Judaism. It's the first day of the week, Sunday morning. It's like our Monday, since the Sabbath begins on Friday at 6 p.m. and the Sabbath ends at 6 p.m. on Saturday evening, the evening. And the typical procedure uh, that was usually applied just for, for wealthy people, not just your everyday type person, the usual procedure was for the body to be wrapped in cloth, spices to be applied to help stem the odor of the decaying body, and then for the body to lay in the tomb for one year to decompose. Now, the only reason Jesus 
has a tomb is because he's borrowing the tomb, in a sense, from Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who had given his tomb for Jesus' body to be placed there. So decomposition would be accelerated because of the climate in Jerusalem and that part of the world. And after one year, the bones would be collected and they would be put into an ossuary and placed usually someplace else. Might be placed in the tomb, might be placed someplace else with other ossuaries. So an ossuary would look like, uh, like this. This would be a, actually a rather large one. This one is probably about this big. And uh, very interestingly, this is, I took a picture of this in the Jerusalem Museum. This is the ossuary of Caiaphas, the high priest. And so if we could go back to the one before this, yeah, right there. So Caiaphas was the high priest that actually did the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, before the religious rulers. And when he died, um, he was wrapped in the cloths, and a year later they took his bones and they put his bones in here. And it was discovered, and it's now in the Jerusalem Museum. The next picture is uh, thought, it's a pretty high probability, but not for sure, that that was Herod the Great's ossuary. And so this is the Herod that had, uh, you know, when Jesus was born, uh, he died shortly after that. Uh, but he was the one also who had the, the children in Bethlehem, the babies, the two-year-olds and under, uh, killed. It was broken up into hundred, literally hundreds of pieces. It's been reconstructed. There's no name on it. That's part of the reason they're not sure, but it comes from his palace, and it, you know, there was a big search to try to find it and, uh, and reconstruct it, and they think that that is likely his ossuary. So the, the boxes that their bones were kept in uh, have survived till today. People who either tried to kill Jesus or succeeded in killing Jesus, like Caiaphas. And yet we have the boxes where their bones were, and there are no bones for Jesus because he rose from the dead. So Jesus had repeatedly told his followers that he would rise in, in three days. But as the women, as the women approached, approached the tomb, there really was no hope in their minds that Jesus was alive. And the reason there was no hope is because it, it was a concept that they really couldn't understand. Every time that Jesus would talk about it, they, would, they just couldn't understand an individual resurrection. They expected that a resurrection was coming. But they really couldn't understand a, an individual resurrection like that. Not a resuscitation, not a just being brought back to life, but an actual resurrection with a resurrection body. Maybe they, believed that his re maybe they believed that his resurrection would happen, but they probably believed that maybe it was some kind of spiritual resurrection. And certainly they believed that he was with God. He had died, but he was with God. But the idea that Jesus would be walking around was about as far from their minds as they could, as they could imagine. What propelled them to the tomb was their love for Jesus, not their faith in his words, their love for Jesus. Death had, as far as they could tell, death had defeated him. At least bodily death had defeated him. But when they get there, he's gone. So we pick up in verse 2, where it says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living 
among the dead. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. They came thinking that death had defeated him, but they learned that he had in fact defeated death. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. We may deny death's inevitability, but God denies death its power. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote just a few years later, within about 20 years, he wrote a letter, and he says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. We may deny death its inevitability, but God denies death its power. So we come to the Easter package. We open the Easter package, and we discover or we remember that we may deny death its inevitability, but God denies death its power. What else is in the package? Secondly, Christ's resurrection births real hope, a real hope. The emphasis here is on hope that is real. It's a hope based on what is true. So a few years ago, probably about 10 years ago, a philosopher by the name of Roger Scruton wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times. And this was the name of it. This is the thing that I want to capture more than anything. Um, he wrote of an opinion piece called When Hope Tramples the Truth. When Hope Tramples, tramples the Truth. It was about movement leaders. It was about people trying to big about, bring about big world change. He explained that too often what a lot of world leaders do and people who are trying to bring about big change is they peddle false hope. They ignore perspectives that don't agree with them, inconvenient facts. They don't learn some lessons from history. They just kind of push forward, and they oftentimes provide false hope. And his point in the article is that the hope tramples on the truth, and these false hopes, he said, and he gave evidence of it, uh, have led to just unmitigated disasters and world wars and other really horrible unintended consequences. But Christians hope, Christian hope doesn't deny the truth, and it doesn't deny the reality of trouble. It's not some kind of positive thinking. It's not about mind over matter. It's based on God's words. It's based on God's promises. Our hope trumps our troubles without trampling on the truth. It trumps our troubles without trampling on the truth. It doesn't it doesn't trample on the truth because Christian hope is based on God's Word. It's based on His promises. So look again at verse 6 where it says, He is not here. These angels say, He is not here. Remember how He told you. So He had made a promise. He had told them what was going to happen. And, and so the angels are reminding him that, reminding these women that the hope that they should have had was not something just based on wishful thinking or positive thinking. Their hope was based on his own word. Remember what he told you. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you why he was still with you in Galilee. He said this, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, 
and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They remembered his words, his promises. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. <laughs> they heard the same promises from Jesus. But when the women come to report that what Jesus had said had actually happened, they thought it was nonsense and they didn't believe them. Christian hope doesn't deny the truth. Christians know trouble. There's plenty of trouble in our lives. Jesus not only spoke of his resurrection, he also spoke regularly about the fact that in this world we're going to have trouble. And you can read about them. I think it's in your outlines in John 16, what he says. But because of the resurrection, we have real hope in our troubles. doesn't raise our troubles. doesn't get rid of all of our troubles. We have hope in our troubles. Our hope trumps our troubles without trampling on the truth. So when we open the Easter package, we discover or we remember that we may deny death its inevitability, but God denies death its power. We also discover or remember that we have a real hope that's based on what is true, and it's based on what is true because it's based on God's word, what he has said. What else is in the package? Christ's resurrection offers forgiveness, and it offers new beginnings. The truth is captured in nine simple words found in verse 12. The disciples didn't believe the woman, but look at what it says in verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. So the last time Peter had showed up in the story, he was weeping bitterly after denying Jesus three times. Apart from the resurrection, what do you think would have determined Peter's destiny? What would have just marked his life, every day of his life. Think about that. Apart from the resurrection, what do you think would have determined Peter's destiny? But for Peter, now the resurrection would determine his destiny. And the same can be true for us as well. The resurrection, not our failures, can determine our destiny. The resurrection can determine our destiny. I've asked one of our members, um, Jennifer Flaherty, uh, to come and share her story. Jennifer is um, Jennifer's starting an organization that many of you have heard about. It's Hope for the Brave. Uh, the website is up here, and don't make the mistake I made. Don't put the word the in there. You won't be able to find it, but you can go there and you can find out all about it. The goal, the ultimate goal of Hope for the Brave is to create housing for women and children who have been traumatized by domestic violence. And um, she's going to share a bit of her story uh, with us right now. So, Jennifer, if you go ahead and come on up. Good evening. Happy Easter, everybody. My name is Jennifer Flaherty. Is your mic on? Hello? Testing. There we go. 
Pastor Henry told me one of the focuses of his Easter sermon would relate to the fact that our failures don't need to determine our destinies due to the resurrection of Jesus. I believe that my life is a perfect example of this fact. My story begins with two young alcoholic parents. My dad was absent a lot of the time when I was growing up. My mom worked as my mom worked factory jobs to take care of us kids because she couldn't depend on my dad and refused to be shamed by the welfare system. I don't remember hating my childhood. For the most part, I remember it being happy. That is, until I got molested by a family member. Molestation breaks a child in an unimaginable way. The void this horrible act created within me, in addition to having an absent dad, caused me to be willingly start having sex by the age of 12. Consequently, I became pregnant at the age of 13 and had an abortion. I got pregnant again at 14 and I kept my child. My son David is my favorite gift from Yahweh. However, his father was a very abusive man. I have since forgiven him, but the memory of those times will forever be branded in my mind. When I finally left my son's father, I bought a townhome with my mom, thinking life was going to be better. It really wasn't. I still had that void. Then things got even worse. A couple of years before my son went off to college, I got into a series of car accidents. After, mail, after many failed attempts at physical therapy, I leaned on opiates to alleviate the pain. This caused a horrifying drug addiction, a demon of monstrous power, which I never thought that I would escape. I'm not sure if you can possibly imagine the psychological state that I was going through after all of these life events. I felt very different from others, broken, dirty, and unworthy of love. Sad, isn't it? I didn't ask for these things to happen to me, but these unfortunate events caused me to carry quite a bit of guilt and shame for a large portion of my life. Then it happened. By the grace of Yahweh, I got sober. After being sober for a couple of years, I decided I wanted to build a closer relationship with Yahweh. I had always believed in him since I was a child, but it was more of a God, please help me out of this mess type of a belief. In 2018, I started chasing him zealously, actively attending church, reading my Bible, and praying every single day. In doing this, I felt my heart begin to change. You know that little verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose? That began to really mean something to me. I started talking to a new friend about the things that I had been through. I fully expected him to no longer want to be my friend, but that didn't happen. That gave me the courage for my next step. The church that I attended had testimony service. I told my story out loud to the entire church, and guess what? People told me that healing my, hearing my story helped them with their own struggles. Wow! Knowing that my life story could help people, that empowered me. In 2019, I started volunteering at a women's shelter in St. Paul, and I got even greater satisfaction from helping people hands-on. That's when it happened. Yahweh provided me a vision and put me on mission to create a supportive housing development for domestic violence survivors, hope for the brave. Through this mission, he has opened many doors, allowed me to help numerous people by using the superpower that he equipped me with, my own story. I used to question, why would he choose me? Broken, dirty, unworthy me. Now I realize that's not who I am. 
I am the daughter of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Through faith, I am saved by his grace. Thank you so much, Jennifer, uh, for sharing your story, and you've shared it with so many of us, and it's, uh, it really is a powerful statement of what God um, does and how he loves us with everything. Look at verse 12 one more time. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. What would happen would change the course of history, it would change his destiny, and it would change our destinies as well. Don't miss what is in the Easter package. Don't miss out on it. Reflect this Easter on what's in that package. Because of the resurrection, death has not, no power over you if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. No power because you have eternal life in him. Because of the resurrection, you have real hope based on what is true. It's true because it's based on God's promises. It's based on God's word. It trumps our trouble without trampling on the truth. Because of the resurrection, forgiveness and new life is yours. It's mine. The resurrection, not our failures, determine our destiny. We're called to live in that new life. If you've never received Christ, I want to invite you today to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You do that by putting your faith in Him, by asking Him to forgive you of your sins based on what Jesus did on that cross. I want to invite you as we begin our time of response now in our service, I want to invite you to take the communion packet that you got while you came in. We're going to celebrate communion together, being reminded of what Jesus came to do and the meaning of what the cross was about. On the night that he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples, and if you'll take the little top off first and take the bread, he gathered with his disciples and they celebrated the Passover meal, and he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He was saying, this is broken instead of you. I am your sacrifice. Let's eat together. He took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the remission of your sins. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what this weekend is about. We celebrated on Friday the death of your son on the cross, paying the price for our sins so that we don't have to. Today we celebrate his rising as the first fruits of the resurrection. Looking forward to the day when we will rise as well and be given new bodies, new resurrection bodies. 
We thank you, Father, for all that means. I pray, Father, for anyone here today who is maybe on a journey of discovering more and more about you. I pray that they would take steps closer to you to discover what you've said in your word. I pray for anyone today who is ready to just cross that line of faith and put their faith in you today. I pray that they would do that, that they would follow you as their only Lord and Savior, their God, their King, their ruler, their forgiver. We thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.